So just as a review, it's been a minute since we've gone through Ecclesiastes together. Uh, let's review where we're at in light of this book. So let's the overall structure of the book, um, and, and again, there are varying positions on the structure of this book, but I just wanted to refresh us as we move into a new movement in the book. Chapters 1 and 2 deal specifically with creaturely limitations. Uh, in, in a sense, the way I would describe it is that man is powerless to prescribe meaning or enjoy anything. So it's interesting. This book uh, thematically is mostly focused on joy. Do you notice that? It's really interesting how that works uh, throughout the book, how, how Solomon develops that idea. So he wants to start at the outset in chapters 1 and 2 to make it very clear to us that we can't prescribe meaning to anything nor enjoy anything. Okay, so then Solomon, what's the point? Well, moving on to chapters 3 through 5, I think what he tries to emphasize to us is the Creator's sovereignty over all things. So we can't prescribe meaning, we can't truly enjoy anything unless we have a right understanding of what is under heaven, right? So there are there is a distinction made in chapters 3 and 5. This idea that uh, we live life under the sun, we have a limited vantage point, and if we were to try to prescribe meaning based on our own limitations, then we would really be just, it's meaningless in that sense because it's not true meaning, if that makes sense. There must be a universal position, a universal understanding of all things. And who to better prescribe that meaning than the Creator Himself? That's what I believe Solomon's trying to demonstrate. First, we cannot do anything to prescribe meaning and we can't enjoy anything until we have the proper in heavenly, the ultimate universal position, this perspective from the Creator Himself defined by Him, and then we can begin to enjoy things. Then we can begin to at least understand His perspective. Then moving on now into this new movement here, based on that understanding, chapters 6 through 8, particularly to verse 15, and I have a reason for that, which we'll get to later uh, in this study. Um, there's an issue of controlling, right? There's a controlled and empowered joy. Think about that. A controlled and empowered joy. This vanity under the sun can only be meaningful and enjoyed under the sun by those who are who are fear God. So here we have, you can't define it yourself. God must define it. And unless you fear Him and are controlled by Him and controlled by that understanding, you can't enjoy anything. You won't even have the proper perspective. Really, your life truly is meaningless. Vanity, a shadow. Uh, it's uh, Trying to find meaning in anything is like chasing after the wind. And then in chapters 8, uh, 16 through the, rent, the rest of the book, 12, 14, we see the conflict that Solomon is providing for us resolved. A proper perspective in that end changes everything. And we know uh, he concludes saying, the end of the matter has been heard. For fear God, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. So again, we have a limited vantage point. We have the sovereign God's vantage point. We have what it means to be controlled and empowered by joy. And then this conflict resolved of, wait a minute, if everything's just meaningless and vain, then how can we enjoy anything or why pursue anything? Why do anything? Well, that's what we're going to get into today. We're going to take a look at that. We're going to helpfully gain some perspective on that very thing. I like what the uh, Lexham version of the Bible, it's the uh, Logos version, says, uh, here is another misfortune. I like, I like their, their usage of the words. Another misfortune that I have seen under the sun. And it's prevalent among humankind. God gives a man wealth, possessions, and honor. Note that. 
We're going to break that down a bit further. But notice this. It's God giving someone wealth. He gives them possessions and honor so that he lacks nothing his heart desires. That's everything, guys. I mean, really, if we think about it, close up the book, we, we can walk away going, man, God is basically in charge of everything. And this person ha- is lacking nothing. To be quite honest, maybe, maybe some of you are okay. I don't know anybody in this room that ha- that's like that. I'm, not, I'm certainly not. Do you know anybody like that that's lacking nothing? You have all that your heart's desires? Everything? You have it all? I don't. I, I don't know anybody who does. Right? Maybe some of you do. But I think we're going to get into that. Here's what's crazy. He has all that his heart's desires. Wealth, possessions, and honor. What does it say? Yet God does not enable him to enjoy it. That is messed up when you really think about that. It is messed up. Wait a minute. He has everything he could ever want, all of his heart's desires, yet God doesn't enable him to enjoy it. I mean, guys, there should be some serious question marks going on right now. Some hardcore questions that you have for Solomon and digging into this text. At least I do. I'm like, wait a second, that is jacked up. How could you have everything that you would ever want, your heart's desire? And then God's like, sorry, can't enjoy it. When yet we just read in uh, chapter 5, verse 18, that God is the one who empowers us. He gives us everything to enjoy. He uses the same words. Notice, wealth, possessions, power. We can enjoy all those things. It's a gift of God that we can experience the fullness of the toils of our work. But this guy, there's some dip, there's two different dudes here. You notice that? Two different people are being represented. One, where God has given this precious gift of enjoyment. I call it a superpower. I entitled this sermon, Enjoyment, a Superpower. It is a superpower. It's not something that you're actually capable of doing on your own outside of divine intervention. Think of that. That's incredible when you really boil it down, when you really start wrestling with it. So God doesn't give this guy the ability to enjoy it, but he gives the other one the ability. Who are these two people? Who are these two people? That should be a question that comes up in our mind. How can we be the person that enjoys it is what I would want to be, right? Hopefully you're thinking of the same thing. Like, yeah, I'd rather be the, 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 the former, not the latter. Okay, Especially the description that he provides in chapter 6. I like what the uh, Treasury of Scripture knowledge says. That, you know, I use uh, this resource in my studies. I, I highly recommend it if you guys are Logos users. I have it linked between my Bible and the Treasury of Scripture knowledge, and it scrolls with the text as I scroll with it. And it's like tons of resources, links to other scriptures. It gives you uh, a bunch of a bunch of different references. Well, it had a little um, it had a little subheading in it, and and it's it doesn't have very many of these. It just goes right through the text specific points in the text and tries to provide as many references as it can to the point that's being made. And it says this, I love this, a man may possess much earthly goods and yet have neither the heart nor the power to enjoy them. Think of that. Nor the heart nor the power. Get into that a little bit in a second. Possession and fruition are not necessarily joined together. And this is also among the vanities of life and was still a very common evil among men now. It still is now. It belongs to God as much to give the power to enjoy as it does to give earthly blessings. I mean, he says in in, um, chapter 5, in verse 19, that it's a gift. It's his gift. So think of that. It's just as much in the power of God. Here, you have everything. But there's this one other thing, like you just can't enjoy it. 
I, you guys know tons of people that, that are like this. I guarantee it. We are surrounded by them. Our society is engulfed in them. There are some people you look at. They might be your neighbors. They might be your coworkers. There might even be people in this room who just can't seem to appreciate what it is that they have. And they have it, man. You're looking at them and you're like, bro, you're always wearing the sweet threads. You got the nice kicks, fancy car, right? Sweet house. You might be like Greg and have many houses, right? You might be looking at these people and going, dude, and you have it all. Holy moly, you got the forest bend, dude. You know? You must have it all. You fly airplanes. I want to do that, right? You think about it. You look at these people around you, like you think about it. And sorry to pick on you guys all the time. You're just right here in my, my view, right? Uh, uh, think about that. You look around, I guarantee it, we all do this to one another. I mean, you might be thinking of Jonathan and his sweet manner in the woods, dude. Like, how does the pastor afford that? <laughs> sorry, guys. I'm sorry, Jonathan. Yes, I said it. So, I'm just saying, the point of it is, is that you might be thinking of those things and looking at one another in their lives. And we, we read this in Galatians earlier about envy. You look at these things, you look at their lives, and you go, wait a minute, man. You are just surrounded by blessings. And by the way, I am not saying that any of you don't enjoy those blessings. It's not what I'm not saying. That, okay, What I'm saying is, we do know people that are showered with all these things. And you might be thinking in your mind, I would only be happier if... You might be looking at these people within me and going, man, dude, I, if I had a sweet manor in the woods, dude, or multiple houses, dude, or a forest bend, or, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to think of other things as I look at you guys. Um, you know, I, I might be way happier. I might enjoy my life a little bit more. That actually might bring me some joy. Well, I think what Solomon's doing is giving us a serious sobriety check about that attitude and about that mentality. I think that is exactly the sort. Notice he's contrasting two different people. There are some people who have this gift and this ability to enjoy. And you know what's really interesting? Some of them might have very little. Very little. But you look at them and you're around them. And they're just this radiant person. that You're blessed by them. Like you're just spending time with them. Like, man, I am always encouraged and uplifted by this person. Man, they, their faith is incredible. Like, just the way they speak about the Lord, the way they speak about, you know, their, their walk in their life. And they're just like over, they're oozing, you know, the moglo, like Jonathan had last week on the, on the, on the, uh, live stream. You had a moglo. I don't know if you know that. It was great. It was awesome. But people are just oozing that, right? They're oozing it. There's, it, it overflows. And you know what these people, they're very uplifting. It's always a refreshing. Like you walk away from this conversation refreshed by them. There's something about them. They are content. But they might not have it all. They might not even have much of anything. Yet, it's like, how do you have that? How do you have... That's like a superpower. How are you enjoying your life when it seems like you have such little... Or you might be enduring such incredible trials. You might be really struggling. How is it that you are oozing with this joy? And here I have much. I might be the one with much. Sweet kicks, nice clothes, and you know, sweet ride in a nice house, but I'm not enjoying it. That's interesting. So it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. I want you to take a moment, sit back and think about your life. That's what this book is designed for. Let's sit back a moment and let's think about our lives. How many of those precious moments? Now, some of you might be thinking, uh, you know, you may not have thought of them as precious moments, but I want you to think precious moments that you could honestly say that you have thoroughly enjoyed. How many of those exist? I bet you you know them so well, they're like vivid in your mind. You can look back on them with really fond memory. You think of them often maybe 
you share them with one another. Right? Go back to your earliest ages. You know, you think back to those times. That, that's a really precious memory in your mind. You thoroughly enjoyed a moment. Are you ready? Wait for it. How many of those can you name? Like, I was trying to do this exercise. I'm like, oh, wow. I have a lot more negative feedback than I do the precious moments. And you know what's interesting is I vividly remember the negative, in many cases, much more than I remember the, the positive, the precious moments. I thought, why is that? Why do I focus on that so much? When I say enjoy now, I want to clarify this a little bit. I want to qualify it. I mean the severest sense of the word. Uh, as Solomon uniquely uses it here, I believe, and what's really interesting, you do a word study on this, I couldn't actually find the usage. It, the word means eat and to be full. Like eating to fullness. I think what he's getting at here is an expressed intention to devour it. Like this is something that you're just like engulfed in and fully enjoying. I mean, you are so into it. You know, it's, it's you're appreciating it to its fullest. Think about that. Now think back. How many of those moments have you had? I can think of a select few in this life that I've really had like that, that I can remember vividly. Okay? Let's think about some of the obstacles that Solomon presents as to why maybe we're not, we're not remembering those things or we're not appreciating maybe for what they are. He says, one, in chapters 2, 3, 5, 6, 7, 9, and 10, that there is this apparent vanity in the life under the sun. A temporal nature, nature to all of our endeavors. One of the things that we really struggle with is the fact that things just slip away and go. Like that one moment, I, I remember listening to uh, someone being interviewed about winning the Super Bowl, right? Think about that. You go from Pop Warner peewee football, if you played it, or maybe did some Park and Rex flag football like I did, and then you go from that and you get into high school or middle school if you're doing all that, and you practice, you work super hard, you go to practice all the time, you do it, you work super hard, and you get to college, and you're doing that, and you're doing the college thing, and you're, you're going, going, going. Then you get into the NFL, and then you're like, man, you're going, going, going. Some don't win forever, right? And you finally get that one team, that magic happens. You win the Super Bowl, and you're standing up there with the trophy. You're like, ah, yeah, you know, it's all the moment. And then the next day, it's like, man, let's do it again, right? <laughs> I mean, that's most people. The guy said, yeah, it was great, but you know, and then he immediately left that moment and started talking about next season. This is what we're working on next season. This is what we're looking forward to. This is how we're going to get that trophy again. Think about a guy like Tom Brady, man. That guy's won so many rings, so many trophies. And it's like he's just uh, just not satisfied. That guy did not want to retire. I guarantee it. His body would not allow him to continue. I think he was like 45 years old when he finally just set it down. It's like, dude, give it up, bro. Go do something else in your life. You know what I mean? <laughs> find joy somewhere else. It's interesting. A lot of people lose their identities, right? We talked about that previously in Ecclesiastes. There's something about this temporal reality that, that strips away that joy. It's like this fleeting moment, It's you're in it, and then it's like gone, and you're already looking at the next thing, right? Another thing that, that's an obstacle to us that's referenced in four, chapters 4, 6, and 7 is death. It comes to us all, Right? And in some cases, life is so rough in this temporal world, death is preferable to life for some. Isn't that crazy? Like, I would rather just be dead. Job, he's come to, he comes to mind. Job's like, man, I'd rather be dead than go through all this. It'd be better if I was stillborn. That kind of idea is brought up in, in chapter 6 here, isn't it? Why? It's because life is so rough, and I've been handed some rough ends of the stick, that I'm just like, man, it would be better to be dead. I don't even know how these people, like these happy-go-lucky, joyous, these oozing spiritual people you talk about, Jeremy, go about it. I've been struggling and wrestling my entire life, man. And it's like I'm just getting the rough end of the stick left, right, and I'm getting beat down by it. 
and curb stomped. I'd rather be dead. You know, that's, that's an attitude that, that's an obstacle to this joy. Another one is it seems like the wicked constantly prevail and the righteous suffer. That's in chapters 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, and 9. That's a huge obstacle for us. We're like, man, dude, what? I just don't get it, Lord Joe Biden. That's it. That's all I have to say. I rest my case, man. What in the world, dude? Seriously? Soros? Come on, man. All hit. He's getting all the monies? Guy's wicked. There's uncertainty in our future, right? Like, think about it. A lot of people, and I've been listening to some pretty crazy block. You guys heard Blurry Creatures? I like those guys. I, I really do. Uh, Luke and Nate, sweet guys. They're, they're, they're exploring all these crazy biblical creatures, starting from Bigfoot all the way to the Giants and the Nephilim. And yep, it, as you can imagine, it gets pretty interesting real quick. Well, one of the things that's really interesting is it always seems to gravitate towards this negativity towards the end of the world. And I'm almost like exhausted by it. Like I'm listening, I'm like, oh my gosh, bro, here we go again. It's all going to get bad. Everything's going to get destroyed and wiped out. You know, comet's going to hit the world. God's going to wipe everything out again. And two-thirds of the people are going to die. And you're like, oh, wow, jeez. Okay. So in my, this uncertainty about the future, what is it causing us? A hesitancy to go after things. A hesitancy to, to, to enjoy just the, like the simple things like you get so consumed about what might happen in the future. Some of you doomsday preppers out there, right? You go prepping hard because what are you, what are you anxious about? The uncertainty of the future, right? You know what I'm saying? Like people go off the grid. They start burying their stuff. They like, they just disconnect themselves from society. They, we have friends like that in our family who, who've done that. And they're warning us about, you know, the Antichrist. The Antichrist is coming. Oh, you guys are blind to it, man. You don't understand. We, they moved off the grid, guys. Like they're, they're living on Starlink, <laughs> you know. And other things, like the only connection they have is that to, to this, to society. Everything else is they're straight up living off the land. And they're, and they're miserable people. They're some of the most miserable people to be around because they're so upset about what might happen when the Antichrist comes. You know, it's wild. There are questions about success. If I go and pursue and do this thing in chapter 11, will it actually come out to be if I cast my bread on the waters? You guys know that passage, right? Will it come back to me? Will the Proverbs hold up true? You know, the Lord says in the Proverbs, man, I do this thing and this should happen. Yet Ecclesiastes just throws a rock through that window, doesn't it? Ecclesiastes says, no, not always. Sorry. And by the way, God might not give you the ability to do that. God actually might strip away everything from you. You might not survive like past this year. You might have a child that dies. You might die. Your spouse might die. Everybody might die. You know what I mean? It's just like, wow, man, this book is... How could this book be about joy? Right? We question the providential work of God in our lives. That's in chapter 3, 7, and 8. Think about how often we do this. We sit back and go, we all do it. Lord, what? Man, really? It's a rough providence, man. You know, we do it. Greg said it the other day. I'm putting him on blast. It's like, here it goes, another wave, you know? Here we go. I'm like, yeah, welcome to the life, bro. Man, it's going to happen. High five, another wave. We're having waves. Everybody's in waves. We're going to ride those waves. We're going to boogie board those waves. That's just what we got to do. <laughs> you know, got to get after it. I don't have to tell you, man. You're going to get slapped by them sometimes. You're going to get, you know, anybody, anybody done boogie boarding or surfing ever in the room? Anybody caught a wave too high? Oh, yeah. What does it do? Boom! Just pile drives you right into the sand, especially when it's a shallow wave. Oh, those hurt. You know, I, that's happened to me. And you can see it too when it's coming. You're like, 
<laughs> oh, dude, yeah, there it is. Bam, just pile drive right into the ground. That's how people who have this attitude, it happens. They're catching the wave a little bit too late. They miss the whole thing and boom, pile drive. You can just watch it happen over and over again. My mom, That happened to my mom. She actually had to get taken to the hospital uh, for that. That was a funny thing. I won't go into the details of that, but that was funny. I mean, my mom, I love my mom, but that was funny, dude. I was watching him like, no, in there, bam, right? So we question the providential work of God in our lives like people aren't catching a wave too late, right? Here we are, we're stuck on the wave. We're You're in for a ride, it's going to happen, and bam, there you are. And you get up and you're like, dude, Lord, I just got pile-drived, and I'm getting pile-drived and beat to death by the waves over and over and over again. And if you've done any kind of surfing or boogie boarding in the in a storm, it is rough trying to catch one wave. You're exhausted. Like two or three, you're like, I'm good. Why? Because you're getting beat up the whole way you're trying to get out there by wave after wave after wave. And you might feel that way. Sometimes we call them God's bitter providences. They're like waves after waves after waves that don't stop. And in some cases, and in, in, in a lot of cases, sadly, uh, all these things lead to doubt, in some ways, and despair. Like, I don't even know I'm a Christian, man. Like, I don't even know if I can be a Christian. Can I be a Christian if I'm struggling with all these things? Think about that. That's quite a list of obstacles, okay? So with that in mind, let's start thinking about how we could be joyful in the small things in our life. Let's look, how many opportunities do we miss that are right in front of us, you guys? How many of those opportunities do we miss? How many opportunities are right there? You wonder what you're experiencing, um, why you're not, you're in the moment and you're like questioning, have you guys done this? I do it. You're in the moment and you're literally thinking, I should be experiencing joy right now and I'm not. I'm actually kind of annoyed and frustrated. Typically this happens with kids, just saying. Uh, you know, like they're precious. I love them. They're my children and boy, are they annoying. And I'm super annoyed and they're not going to last that long and they're going to grow up really quick. I'm watching mine sprout right before my eyes, and I'm just like, wow, this is really annoying, and I'm super frustrated, and I'm getting angry right now. And I'm saying to myself, I should be experiencing joy though, Jeremy. And I'm not. I'm really not. Why? Why does that happen? Let's look at some examples, starting in childhood. You're a little guy, really little. You're a little little. Everything's joy for the most part, right? Until you get in trouble for doing the things that you're not supposed to do. But I can remember little moments in my life where it's just like something as simple as playing in a sandbox with my friend. You know, just looking across from it. And I truly experienced that devouring enjoyment. Like, man, we were in it. We're building our stuff. We're doing our thing. We're just so amped. We can't wait to hang out again tomorrow. Remember those moments? Right? As a teenager, think about what we do. We are so excited about being all grown up that we miss all the teenage sweet moments, right? We go from school to being adults, and then we miss those impressionable moments that last a lifetime in a lot of cases, right? And it's so funny. Like, you talk to especially, like, the 16ers, 17ers, how amped they are to be 21 or 18. It's really funny. You're like, no, dude, trust me. Just, bro, listen, you live in a sweet house right now for the most part, right? I'm, I'm, I'm making your food for you. I'm buying that for you. I'm taking you everywhere you want to go, getting you some sweet gifts, right? You know, you get clothes, everything's, t- everything's squared away for you. You just love life right now, man. I would, if I could do it all over, man, I would love your position. Why are you so in a rush to grow up? It's insane. You're missing all the sweet opportunities, you know, and you just can't wait, can't wait. So eager to look past all these moments. Teenagers do that all the time. Singleness. 
right? Can't wait to be married. Marriage is going to be so awesome, you know? <laughs> Laugh, right? It's going to be, yeah, think about it. You guys know these guys, right? Everybody, we've, we've all met them. There might be some in here today. I'm not saying anything. But think about it. Like, I'm so amped to be married. I'm so excited. And you miss the beauty of singleness. Paul said himself, man, there are a lot of burdens that come with being married. Just enjoy being single. And if the Lord does bring a spouse for you, awesome. Walk with God and enjoy this time. Trust me, you can read a lot of books, do a lot of fun things, go out and check out the world. But man, when you get married, boy, all that changes. Because then the burden and responsibility, especially for men who want to provide well for their homes, right, comes upon them. They have to get after it. And then you have these things called children's, which we already talked about. And, it, and that burden even be, grows more, right? That burden, especially for men, wanting to be good providers, wanting to care for their homes and their houses. And those things cause you to miss the joy of your singleness, right? Devote yourself to the Lord, single ones, like Paul. And if the Lord so chooses to bless you with a spouse, praise God. And then enjoy that. On to marriage. Now, here you are in marriage. Think about this. You were looking for every possible opportunity that you could find to hang out with that one that you wanted to marry. And it was awesome, and you cherished every little moment of it. And then you got married. <laughs> and what happened? You're like, dude, looking maybe for opportunities and reasons and ways not to hang out with this one that I was looking for opportunities and reasons to hang out with every waking moment. That's weird. That's something happened there. The joy is gone. <laughs> Let me say, if that's happening, you're missing out. The joy is now gone, folks. It is gone. Uh, let me say, just put myself on blast. I got punked the other day by my oldest child who said, you want to play, spend more time playing video games than you do with mom, dad? I'm like, oh, geez. He said it's true. <sighs> that was like a spear through my heart. No, that's not true. I love my wife. And I thought, you know what, man? He's going to punk me like that. I, I deserve it. I need to spend more time with my wife. Why do I enjoy this game more than my wife? I don't. That's not true at all. But it's like, I don't want her to feel that way. You know? So it strips my joy for the game. Man, ruined. Everything's ruined. Blow it. Dude, dang it now. I'm going to spend time with my wife, and I'm going to enjoy time with my wife. Think about that. Like, it strips your joy away. It takes it away. So all these wonderful uh, opportunities that you miss out on, and again, it's so sad. Like, that's where the whole, I, I guess, the whole advent of the man cave came from. The man cave was quite literally returning to your you know, primordial soup state and look for solace and escape to nature away from everything. It's interesting. It's why men go camping and hunting for the most part, right? They want to escape everything. What are you trying to escape, bro? They think they're going to have more joy out there and then they totally don't get something when they hunt it. It's like the Lord stripped away everything, right? They want to avoid everybody they should be liking to hang out with <laughs> and then they don't get what they were hoping for on the hunt. Um, but then they say, well, the hunt is the cool part. They go hang out with a few of their chums um, in their man cave, divorcing themselves from everybody who they should be wanting to hang out with. And that is done in the name of joy. Man, trip out on that, right? I love uh, my dear brother, Grant Masters, if you guys know him. I love, he would say this all the time, and he probably still does. Uh, he's not around us anymore. I guarantee he's saying it at the church he's at now in Nevada. But but about the having and the raising of children, Right? What does he say? I get you guys. Some of you guys know, right? You guys are like, dude, what are you guys so bummed out about? Why is it that when people come to me, they're like, oh man, when they grow up and they get older, everything's gonna be so much better? Not, no, do do my grant in prison. No, no. Why can't you enjoy him now? Why can't we have joy in the raising of our children? I'm like, that's true. 
I 100% take that rebuke, right? You know, th- I, I love that, that he says that. We need to be uh, in a place where we're present in this moment with our kiddos because they're going to grow up and go away, right? And I guarantee you, anybody has two-year-olds, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, whoa, whoa. I'm looking past the diaper stage. I'm looking past the terrible twos. I'm looking past the three-nager. I'm looking past that. Woo! We're going to get through this. We could do it another day. Oh my gosh, he's screaming at me again for no reason. I just fed that child, right? You know, my youngest is the worst. Jace, yes. So bad, he, my wife would be terrified of him. He is screaming, bloody murder, heavy, demon-possessed child's kicking the door, <laughs> throwing toys at it. You know, it's those kind of moments. I look back fondly now, and I enjoy that precious moment. But man, that was terrifying. And I have a video of him chasing me around the island, screaming at me, with my dog barking at me. You look, you look at those moments when you're a parent, and you go, I can't wait for that to be done, right? I mean, can I get an amen from some of those out there who have kids? You, I guarantee it. Yeah, but sadly, this is the other point that I wanted to make with that, is, um, and then they're gone. It's really interesting. They're gone. Some of you have children who are gone and out of the house, right? Um, what happens? We battle empty nesting, depression. We want our babies to be around us now. And we were so burnt out by them when they were growing up and so missed all those precious moments and stopped uh, you know, pouring into them and loving them and nurturing them that when they go, they don't want to hang out with us, dude. Right? And then we're like, oh, that's sad. They don't ever want to hang out with us. Well, yeah, because you're a punk their whole life, you know? And you were in your man cave and you hated your wife, right? It's just like, yeah, of course they don't want to hang out with you. They don't want to be anything like you. And then they become like you, which is really strange. You guys know the song. I don't have to sing it. But um, my boy is just like me, you know? When you kind of come around, I don't know when. We'll get together then. You know that song. That's exactly what that song's about. It's about... Uh, you know, raising children and you're working all day and you're tired, you don't want to hang out, you don't want to pour into them, you don't want to spend time with them, you miss those precious moments, you overlook, can't wait till they grow up, then they grow up and they never want to hang out with you. Sad. Retirement. Always working to retirement, you know? <laughs> you're always working super hard to retirement and planning your future and meanwhile, neglecting everybody around you. You're so focused on this retirement goal plan that you've lost the whole sight of the reason why retirement might be awesome one day. It's because of all these loved ones that you have around you. And that leads me to my final point, the final hours of our life. And I wanted to get a bunch of quotes, we don't have time, of people who are on their deathbed and what they said. Oh man, go look up some of those. Whether they're a Christian or not, there is a stark difference of someone who is heading on into eternity and what they say right at that moment. It's pretty incredible. But think about it. Some of them are like bitter at everything that should have or could have happened. On my grandma's this way. Super bitter at everything. Like, I'm like, how is this woman still alive? She is bitter. That should have killed her a long time ago. I have no idea. Like, how could someone live in such a bitter state their whole entire life and still survive, like in God's world? God's mercy alone. Hopefully the Lord grabs a hold of her heart. Pray for my grandma Jean. She's that way. And then some on the other side of this fence are regretting. They live with these regrets. All the stuff I just listed, they live. It's just piled onto them on what they missed out on or what they could have done. Wishing they had another opportunity to do all over again, but it's too late. Right? And here are the three things. I want you to listen closely. Here are the three things that Solomon tackles. Right? And we're going to deal with this a little bit more in depthly. Wealth will solve my problems. It'll solve my lack of joy. Right? We know of a famous uh, song, Fiddler on the Roof, If I Was a Rich Man. Dooby 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 dum. All day long I'd biddy biddy bum. If I was a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work hard. 
Dooby 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 dum. Yeah, and he goes on. He wouldn't have to. So what does he say? Watch that hilarious. It's on YouTube. You just look it up. Fill around the roof. If I were a rich man, hilarious song. He's talking about this. If I was wealthy, my problems would be solved. I would have great joy. Oh, I'd be able to sit with the the learned men and discuss the scriptures and have a great time, right? And I'd just be able to do all the things. I'd be freed up to do all the things that I'd be able to, you know, want to do. Charles Spurgeon says this about that. I love. Got to, got to quote the Spurge dog. No one is so miserable as the poor person who maintains the appearance of wealth. <laughs> yeah, that's you with your Escalade living in a trailer park. You know what I'm saying? That's you. No one is so miserable. Why? Because you're trying to keep up this facade, this idea that you're a really wealthy person when you're broke. You're not. And then that's exhausting, right? You're miserable. Uh, Shannon L. Alder. I don't know a lot of these people. I just thought these were great quotes. Money isn't the solution to your problem. It only lets you carry on your unhappiness around in style. <laughs> I love that. Isn't that? Yeah, money isn't the solution. It only lets you carry around your unhappiness in style. That's true for a lot of people, right? Listen to Jim Carrey. This is a good one. Jim Carrey's got some good words. I hope everybody could get rich and famous and will have everything they ever dreamed of so they will know that that's not the answer. I love that. Think about that. He is on to something. That man's incredibly wealthy. Really wealthy. Well, listen to what the Lord says in Mark 8, 34-38. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, for the Gospels, will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me, and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes to the, in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Think about that. There's something there for us, and I'm going to tie that all in at the end. Let's go on to the next problem, this thing that contributes to these obstacles. Okay, I'm Trying to tackle this with surgical precision, as my dear brother Jonathan would encourage me to. Possessions will solve my problems. That'll, that'll definitely help with my lack of joy. And there's an interesting modern parable of a rich man and a poor man. Okay, I love this part parable. Uh, the rich man goes on a vacation. He spends about a week in some wonderful resort-like city. Okay, I'm just come up with whatever cool one you think in your mind. He goes there, and he's got this wonderful view of the ocean. And you know, he gets up early in the morning, and wants to really take in, get that sunset, you know, up and and um, he sees this man every morning. You know, he watches him for a whole week, and he sees this man. You know, this guy's broke. You could tell just by the clothes that he wears. You could see kind of where he lives. It's like a shanty kind of village kind of area. And he gets in his little boat and he goes out into the ocean and he goes fishing for a day and he comes back with a small catch. He sells a little bit at the market. You can just see it all happening right here. Um, and he brings a little bit for himself. He takes a mid, uh, afternoon siesta every day, takes a sweet nap, and then he goes and enjoys the time with his family. And, he, and he's doing this with his family. His kids go out with him fishing. And the rich man observing this throughout the week goes, man, phew, when I arrive, when I finally achieve the wealth that I, that I, that I am desiring to get, I'm going to live like that. <laughs> right? He's envying the man who is broke, working his entire life to amass wealth to live like this broke man. Why? What he observes in this man is a richness of life that he wants that his wealth will never produce, ever. Baron de Montesquieu said, if we only wanted to be happy, it would be easy. But we want to be happier than other people. I love that. 
And that is almost always difficult since we think them happier than we are. Our, we, we are so, like, so people are happy, we see they're happy, but we want to be happier than them. But it's difficult because we really can't gauge the, the level of happiness. We always think that they're happier than we are. It's really funny when you think about it. It's this vicious cycle of I want to be happier than they are, but I can't be because I don't know how happy they are. They always seem happier than I am. It's really interesting. Uh, Edith Wharton said, if we'd stop trying to be happy, we could have a pretty good time. <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, um, I think this is how you pronounce it. Epictetus. Epictetus. I don't know. You have to also send you guys the word, the, the name. He says, wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. Is that what wealth is? All right. Lenny Kravitz, you guys know this guy. Lenny Kravitz says, none of those material possessions do anything to make your life any better. I know a lot of people who have a lot of everything, and they are absolutely the most miserable people in the world. So it won't do anything for you unless you are a happy person and can have peace with yourself. Oh, that's really interesting. It's very insightful, actually, coming from a guy who I don't even think he's a Christian. That's pretty insightful. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You guys know this guy. Man, he is awesome. I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Earthly possessions dazzle our eyes and delude us into thinking that they can provide security and freedom from anxiety. Yet all the time, they are the very source of that anxiety. Right? So we think that when having these things, we're going to somehow escape that anxiety, but they're the very things that give us anxiety. Think about the wealthy man who's constantly stewing over how to preserve his wealth because he's worried about other people stealing it from him or him losing it. And then he dies, right? That's it. What does Jesus say? Well, the rich young ruler asked him, in a sense, like about uh, uh, inheriting the kingdom of God. And what he was saying is, I want to live this blessed life, Jesus, that you're talking about. What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep commandments. Keep the commandments. <laughs> he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then the young man said to him, all these I've kept, what do I lack? Jesus said to him, oh, if you'd be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor. <laughs> and you'll have treasures in heaven. And come, follow me. And what does it say about the rich ruler, the rich young ruler? What does it say about him? You guys remember? When he heard this, he went away sorrowful, right? Yeah. For he had great possessions. There is something about his possessions that was keeping him from inheriting the kingdom of God. There was some the connection to these things. He was sorrowful. He had everything. This man had everything. A rich young ruler. You could do some research on that. We're assuming that this guy was a pretty powerful guy. And he was a young man, which is rare in those days, right? Usually you had to be a little bit older, but young men weren't really rich young rulers unless they had succeeded one of their family members and inherited this kingdom that they rule. And that would have been a pretty tough thing to walk away from and follow this carpenter from Nazareth who was broke. He had no... no no shelter over his head. He just had his, you know, all he had was his clothing <laughs> and his disciples. And based on, he lived off the collections of other people outside of the miraculous events, right, that he performed. That'd be tough to walk away from. And no wonder he was sorrowful, but there was some sinful nature. He was one of these two men, and I would say the latter. He was the chapter 6 Ecclesiastes man who had amassed all this wealth, expecting it to um, 
you know, be a sign of his blessing. Because remember, when you had a lot of wealth, and from their perspective contextually, someone had a lot of wealth, you would have thought to them the same way you would have thought of Job. It's the same thing that uh, Job's friends accused him of. You're doing something wrong. You're not blessed by God. Or, man, you are blessed by God. Look at all that you have. You must be. And he's worried about inheriting the kingdom. That's really interesting. Lastly, honor will solve my problems. I just need to be exalted to a status and hope that one day maybe people will see me for the great glorious thing that I really am. Right? <laughs> that will cure my lack of joy. Only one would ever recognize me. Right? Socrates said, oh, Socrates, the greatest way to live with honor in this world is to be what we pretend to be. Horrible advice, dude. That is horrible advice. That's exactly what transgenderism is. They're being what they pretend to be, but that doesn't make it reality, does it? Is that going to bring joy? No. Aeschylus, I think that's how you pronounce his name, he said, it is in the character of very few men to honor without envy a friend who has prospered. So there's something about honoring, like in terms of like, you see someone, you know, ex- excelling and prospering. There is a true honor in encouraging that. And just appreciating that. Uh, But there is no honor in constantly envying this person, he says. Honor isn't about making the right choices, Midori Okoto says. It's all about dealing with the consequences. It's not about making right choices. Is someone honorable? You're like, oh, they make a lot of really good choices. No, he's saying it's how you deal with the consequences. It's really, I think, what he's trying to drive at is you can look to see the way that this person stands firm despite what they're dealing with. I think that's maybe a, a helpful way to understand it. Um, Marcus Tilius Cicero says, honor is the reward of virtue. John Greenleaf Whittier says, when faith is lost, when honor dies, the man is dead. Uh, the Lord warns in uh, Matthew 6, 1-4, through He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For, when you ha- uh, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, just as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, uh, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Their reward's already there. They have taken it. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You're doing something with a motive and a mindset that acknowledges it's not about what other people say about you. It's not about what other people think about you. But the motive and mindset is about what God thinks about you as you live before Him. My last sermon, Coram Deo, shamelessly plugged, is how we ought to live our lives before God because we're more concerned about what God thinks about our life than what we think about the way other, other people think around us. Right? Think about how miserable it is to try to please people all the time. You ever tried that? I forgot who it was that said this, but he would die trying to motivate people. Who was that? The famous... Um, speaker, motivational speaker, I forgot. But he said, yeah, I, I would die if I, if I were to try to motivate people like to some extent, right? Um, think about that. If I'm trying to please everybody and look a certain way, act a certain way, dress a certain way, put myself before people a certain way, you know, uh, have certain things, possession, wealth, all this stuff, I'm trying to position myself in such a way that where I'm always pleasing people, the Lord says, you have your reward. And it's a miserable life, by the way. That's misery. You, you want to have the opposite of joy? Do that all day long. You can have that. But think about it. There is a supernatural, a super powerful reward when you're living your life before the Lord where you have 
you're, you're, you're completely free of that, right? Because you're living before the Lord and it's like you have, the, your reward is stored up for you. That, that is a different mindset that you must have. So notice in every single one of these obstacles, in every single one of these potential pitfalls, that it is a matter of perspective. It's a heavenly one. That unless you possess this in heaven, heavenly perspective, like you get that, and that only comes from the Word of God, you will not experience joy in any way, shape, or form, no matter how hard you try. We had a, a gentleman who wanted to become a member of our church and asked, uh, asked me blatantly, you know, I'm struggling with pornography. And, uh, you know, I'm... Uh, I don't, I, can I be a member of your church? And I said, oh no. no. Not only can you not be a member of our church, but we'll excommunicate you if you continue in that. If you continue in that. Uh, why? Because the Lord requires that of us. We just need to be honest with the Word. Right? But what's interesting is He says, no man, this is, this is where I find joy. I'll go pursue this to whatever end. I'll go hook up with whatever girl I want. Forget your church. Forget going there. Forget everything. I don't care anymore. I'm just going to drink to... Till I, you know, lose my mind and hook up with whoever I want, and then I'll find joy. And those who are active part of the conversation, what did I say? I quoted Solomon. Oh, you won't have a joy. No, there's no joy in that. Trust me. You'll destroy yourself. You'll be one of the most miserable people on the planet, and that's exactly what you are apart from Christ. Remember, what we wrestle with, what we contest with, the only way to experience this superpower of enjoyment is in Christ. You must be reconciled in Christ. You must know Christ. Christ must redeem you. Christ must change you and transform you. He has to give you a new mind and a new heart. You must be born again. If you're going to experience the fruit of the Spirit, the outworking of the Spirit, joy, peace, happiness, self-control, all those things that we quoted from Galatians today. You must be in Christ or else you will be like the other person. One who is caught up and enslaved to the very things that destroy you. And it's interesting, in that we always think this way when we commit ourselves to sin. We think, this is going to make me happy. Is that weird? When the Lord has given us His Word and said, that will destroy you. Right? He did not give us His Word to spoil our fun, guys. He gave us His Word to really, in a way, protect us from ourselves. Trust me, the Lord says, lean, on my, lean not on your understanding, but on me. Let me light your path. Let me guide you. Let me instruct you and walk in my ways. And you'll see your, the, the, the yoke is light and the burden is easy. But the one who decides to reject his word will heap burdens upon himself that they're unable to carry woes and miseries and sorrows. They'll live with regret and bitterness. They'll be constantly frustrated. They won't endure trials. They won't have a very clear perspective and a lot of them will be given up to despair. Despair. Hopelessness. And that is exactly the hope in the end that Ecclesiastes should be pressing us to. The joy that we can find in the small things to the greater things. The joy that we can find in our lives. The appreciation that we can have for the small things. Our relationships with one another in here. The differences that we have. The differences in you know, uh, our, our cultural backgrounds, the differences in our personalities, right? The beauty of this wonderful amalgamation of weirdos. 
right? This is, this is precious. The Lord loves it. And He especially loves it when He loves one, when we love one another despite these things. And we look in this precious moment in the development of our church, in the history of our church, as people come to faith that we could celebrate along with them and have great joy and that we could live a, a life full of joy and that joy only comes from joy in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would experience that true joy, that we'd have joy in childhood, joy as teenagers, joy as singles, joy as married folks, joy in having children, joy in, in the latter years of our life as our family expands, Lord. Uh, joy in our, in our church life, joy in this world that is full of joylessness, that the joy would just so overflow us to the ends of our life that people would look in and go, they have Christ. They know You. They know the living God. They walk with Him. They are different people. They look at things in a totally different perspective and embrace whatever it is that God providentially hands to them with great joy and earnest expectation, knowing the One who is the author and finisher of their faith. Lord, we pray for those who don't know You today. We pray for those who are struggling and wrestling. Lord, that they would commit their lives, Lord, and experience this liberating joy in Christ. We pray that You would draw them to Yourselves. And Lord, encourage us for those who are wrestling. Encourage us for those who are missing out. Uh, use this week and this opportunity for, to look for these opportunities to experience and express joy maybe where we haven't before. Lord, I pray that we would pray for that in the moment. Lord, help me enjoy this when I'm really struggling. Lord, help me enjoy my work life. Lord, help me enjoy being a stay-at-home parent. Help me enjoy uh, just the basic things of life. Appreciate the green grass and the beautiful clouds. Your wonderful creation. Help us enjoy all those things that you have given to us as a gift. Let us be the one who is given the gift of joy. In Jesus' name, amen.